Would you like some deep fried potatoes and deep fried pie with your deep fried sandwich? Welcome to episode six of Like a DOS, the podcast on which I play, discuss, and review MS DOS games released for the IBM PC and compatibles. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on today's episode of Like a DOS, I'll be playing Jones in the Fast Lane. Before we get started, I'd like to remind everyone about my Patreon page. If you'd like to find out more about supporting Like a DOS along with all my other podcasts, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara for more details. All of my patrons get behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly Rando Rob videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. I know $4 a month may not seem like it would make a difference, but it all adds up and really helps small independent shows like this one with podcast-related costs. So again, that URL is patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server or leave me a message on the podcast hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. Now, when I was a kid, our family played a lot of board games. I remember gathering around the living room coffee table and playing games like Candyland and Monopoly and Stratego. And I always used to imagine playing those games when I got older with my friends, uh, inviting people over to my house and having sort of an adult game night. But computers at that time were kind of a one-player or sometimes two-player um, experience. You would play a lot of computer games by yourself. Sometimes you would have a friend over and the two of you would play games against each other but there wasn't that same kind of feeling about getting four people gathered around and playing a board game. Uh, but that changed right around the time I graduated high school when I found this board game that was on the computer. It supported four players, and that game was Jones in the Fast Lane. Now, Jones in the Fast Lane was originally published for MS-DOS in 1991 by Sierra Online. It is a game for one to four players. The game says it supports keyboard or mouse controls. It actually mentions uh, supporting an analog joystick, but the only way you would really want to play this game is with a mouse. Now, this game was published by Sierra Online. I did not realize that when I picked this title. I remember playing this title back in the early 90s, and I forgot that it was from Sierra. And my only reservation about doing this game is that this is episode number six of Like a DOS. And so far, I have covered three Sierra games, which includes uh, Life or Jones in the Fast Lane, uh, Thexter and the incredible machine. So, uh, I will try to stay away from doing so many Sierra titles in the future. Although I'm sure there are some quest related games coming up in the not too distant future. Sierra. 
Now, Jones in the Fast Lane is what I would call a virtual board game. Wikipedia says it is a social simulation game, and I could see how either of those titles uh, would apply. In the game, you set goals based on life-related metrics like your personal wealth or your happiness, and then race other players to achieve your own goals. And the winner of the game is whoever reaches their goals first. The title of the game is a combination of two different phrases. There is a phrase that's very common in the U.S. and maybe other parts of the country called keeping up with the Joneses. And that is a real-life term that people use uh, about trying to purchase uh, larger items, maybe a home or a more expensive car or things like that, big life purchases to keep up with your neighbors. So the Jones would be the... Uh, anonymous neighbors that we're referring to when you say that. When someone says, oh, you're trying to keep up with the Joneses, uh, that's what people are doing. Um, but also, there's a saying about moving fast, going fast, and that saying is a life in the fast lane, of course. Uh, that is uh, uh, you know, someone who is moving up quickly, who's taking bigger jobs, trying to work up the corporate ladder, make more money. That would be life in the fast lane. Uh, and so apparently keeping up with the Joneses was already taken as a, uh, a video game title. And so at the last minute, this game title, uh, which was originally – uh, supposed to be or planned to be titled Keeping Up with the Joneses was changed. They combined those two phrases and it became Jones in the Fast Lane. Now, originally, uh, this game was only released for uh, MS DOS. There is a Windows release, and later uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, it being available online. But uh, it is a originally MS DOS only release, which was later ported to Windows. This game was developed externally by a separate company, and uh, that company was shopping this title around to different developers. It was eventually picked up by Sierra, and according to Moby Games, Sierra took the original concept of the game and then made it into a Sierra-worthy game. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, they added music. They added sound. They added uh, digital actors, which we will see in the game. They added animation. They took the core idea, which was this board game, which is loosely based on the game of life, if you've ever played that board game, and turned it into more of a multimedia experience. The front of the box is somewhat iconic. It has, it's, it stands out. You know, one of the things that you want if you're putting out a software title or a book, a cover, which I have dealt with, is you need something that will stand out against all of its competition when sitting on a shelf, especially, um, on the spine itself. Uh, and when people pick up and look at the front, they want to be able to see what your game is about. And it shouldn't just be, white text on a black box. You have to do something to really make it stand out. And so the front of Jones in the Fast Lane has uh, a bright pink background. And then the bottom third of the box uh, is green grass. And then at the top, we have big letters that are in a, uh, a bluish purple color that says Jones in the Fast Lane, an adventure in real life. Of course, we get the Sierra logo. And then across the lawn, we see two men 
running and they are carrying briefcases. Uh, so we can kind of get that idea that they are uh, in a race uh, wherever they're headed, carrying these briefcases. Uh, I do find it interesting looking at the cover that we have two men that are racing. When you play the game, you could be a man or a woman. And I think if you were releasing this game today, uh, both of those uh, would be represented on the cover, but different time. And this is uh, what we got. Now, the back of the box, like most uh, software titles, has a lot of information about the game. Uh, and it kind of explains this is a unique style game at that time. So you kind of had to sell this entire concept uh, to potential customers. So across the top on the back is a pullout quote from Computer Gaming World that says, Jones is driven by player-customized goals, a dynamic economic system, and logical decision-making. That tells us a little bit about what's going to be happening in the game. It doesn't sound like a puzzle game. It doesn't sound like an action platform-style game. This tells you what you're going to be doing. You're going to be making choices, logical decisions, and customized goals. So all these little ideas are planted. Then, in a, we like most titles, we have a couple of pictures of the game, uh, and then we have more information. And it says, who says you can't win the rat race? Reach for your goals. It's a board game. It's a computer game. It's unlike any game you've ever played. It's Sierra's newest game of real life, Jones and the Fastlane. You and any combination of one to three human and computer players, up to four players, vie to be the first to accomplish their goals of money, happiness, education, and career. Uh, I would just interject that that's a very awkward way to say you could have one to four players. Uh, it says you could, so basically you could have one to four players, but if you only choose one player, you can play by yourself or you can play against the AI component, which turns out to be Jones. Um, but it's just kind of worded awkwardly here on the back of the box. Next, manage your affairs. While you're trying to keep pace with Jones, you'll improve your education, get a better job, pay bills, buy necessities, invest your money, get mugged, even win the lottery. You never know whether you'll be riding high on blue chip stock dividends or pawning your socks down at the friendly loan company. Again, this gives us an idea that uh, this is going to be a game that takes place in a market. You may be buying and selling things. Um, I like that it adds that you might get mugged because that adds this little sense of danger and action to this game because a lot of, I mean, if I were to tell you, hey, I've got this brand new game and, and uh, one of the things you have to do is buy a refrigerator and invest your money <laughs> and deposit your date, you have to go work and deposit your funds. That doesn't sound uh, very exciting. That's not a very good sales thing. So I think it's very interesting that they threw in getting mugged, which is not a, really a huge part of the game. It does happen, uh, but it just kind of adds this little, like a little hint of danger in the game. And the next section says, winner take all. It's a game of ambition, motivation, and competition for the whole family with fulfillment, success, and satisfaction as the prize. Real life can be fun for everyone when you're Jones in the fast lane. Uh, pull out things from that that really jump out at me are that it is um, 
uh, that it requires ambition and motivation. That kind of makes it sound like it is a long-term style game. It says competition, so we know that you'll be competing against other people. Also, it says for the whole family, so we know that uh, this should be a game that younger players can pick up, but older people will enjoy as well. So I always find it interesting, the little things that they put on these boxes where just a, a one specific word or a tiny phrase can really change how you uh, think about a title and down at the bottom, it says features, uh, and there are a list of bullet points and here are the bullet points. Number one, no typing point and click interface. So that tells you, you're not going to have to use the keyboard. Although it does say keyboard is one of the, the options, but I don't think it is. Uh, I think that's maybe misinformation that I've picked up somewhere. I, I, you just have to play this with a mouse. Beautifully detailed game board environment with multiple action windows. Well, that's true. Digitized animations of live actors play all the parts. Well, this is from the CD-ROM version. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but that is true with the CD-ROM version. Play with up to three friends or up to three computer opponents. Also true. Get a job, go to school, pay your bills, and have fun too. Again, that's one of those little phrases that they've added on the end, because if I told you, I said, what if I told you, you've got a game where you're going to have to get a job and go get a degree and also work at a fast food place and also pay rent. <laughs> Just it's not, it doesn't sound, um, I mean, this is, uh, you know, very, very well, 1990s. So very late, eighties, uh, very early nineties. I mean, you're competing with, um, you know, some of the greatest arcade games and computer games. I mean, that was a great era of games. So trying to sell people on this new style of game where you're going to have to pay taxes <laughs> and maybe invest in things. I mean, it, it, it's just, how do you get people interested in that? And so I think by adding that little phrase, uh, at the end where it says, have fun too. I think that's very important. It sells this idea that, yes, there's a lot going on, um, but you are going to have fun doing it. On the front of the box, we also get the PC requirements. Um, those differed on the different releases. There is a uh, EGA version of the game that was released. There is a VGA version that was released. And then finally, there is the VGA version released on CD-ROM, which has additional audio. So uh, these requirements differ a little bit depending on which version of the game you have picked up. But uh, in basic, uh, the basic version here says you need 512 megabyte of RAM. You need 640 kilobyte of RAM for VGA mode. This game is available on five and a quarter inch floppies, three and a half inch floppies, or as I mentioned, the CD-ROM version. Then it says hard disk recommended. I'm not sure. I mean, I guess if it says that, you may, may be able to play it without installing it on a hard drive, but I wouldn't want to try that. Uh, the audio on this game varies uh, depending on what type of audio hardware that you have. Now, this game does support the AdLib card, uh, which would get you some to most of the music, but not that would be the lowest quality uh, support that this game provides. 
most people probably played this game using a Sound Blaster card, but it does support the uh, Roland and uh, the audio. If you if you play the game through something like Exodos, which is what I played it with, you could choose the Roland MT32 as an audio source, and the game really comes to life uh, if you're using uh, one of those type of sound devices. Now, the game begins with opening credits that are almost like a television show. It has opening credits. It has slides that are going by. It feels like you are watching a TV show. And that really sets the stage that this is not going to be your typical uh, arcade-style action shooter game. I mean, this is uh, a, you know a presentation that uh, we are we're seeing unfold like i said it's it's like opening credits um and we could see scenes from someone's life as it's going by different highlights and different things happening so it's a very interesting uh introduction we get this music and this song playing and it really kind of, in one way it slows the pace down but i think it sets the expectation of what the pace of this game is going to feel like once the introduction is done, we move on to the menu screen, and we get three options there. Number one is play game. Number two is restore a saved game. And number three is watch the demo. Now, if you haven't played this game before, what I would recommend you do is click on watch demo, and you will watch Jones, who is the AI computer opponent, play the game by himself. And Jones will move around the board, do different things, and you can kind of start to get an idea of all the options that are available uh, in this game. The menu is in the center of what I would describe as a digital board that you would see in a board game. All the uh, places that you can stop on the board are all the way around the border of the screen. And you can see some of the different locations that you will be visiting in the game. There's a market, uh, you can see the housing, there's a pawn shop, etc. So uh, even before you play, you can see what the board looks like and you can get an idea of, of what's to come. So once you start a game, uh, the first thing you'll do is pick your character. You are picking a digital avatar to represent you throughout the game. There are four to choose from. Two of them are a, a man and a woman in their probably 20s, and then another man and a woman who are older, maybe in their 50s. I'm just going to uh, make a guess. Um, none of the characters have uh, different stats or anything. They're completely, they play completely identically. They just look different for the purpose of uh, playing the game. So it would just be like, you know, any board game monopoly or, or anything like that, where you might pick a different character, but you know, the horse doesn't move faster. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, let's see. You can uh, also at this point, once you, if you choose uh, one character or whatever, you can, also select to play against Jones. Now you can play this, I believe in one player just by yourself without having a computer opponent. But, um, but if you want to play against a computer, uh, you could say that you want to play against Jones and then the game will allow you to choose one of three skill levels, which is essentially easy, medium and hard. Uh, even on the easiest skill level, unless you have played the game before and have a strategy going in, Jones will probably beat you. Uh, and when you move into the higher levels, the game seems to know things about 
it makes decisions based on things that you don't necessarily know. Also, the higher Jones's skill level, we'll talk about this, the more likely he is to win the lottery. And with more money, uh, that really gets you a big advantage in the game. So once you have uh, picked how many people are going to play, now it is time to set up your goals for the game. There are four different goals within the game. You have wealth, happiness, education, and your career. Now, by default, each of these are set at a value of 200, and the scale goes from 160 to 250. I'm going to play right here a short multimedia explanation of each of these four settings. Again, it's wealth, happiness, education, and career. Wealth is defined as the total accumulation of money, savings, and investments. Try the stock market and be on the watch for Wild Willie. And most importantly... Oops, I can't read this handwriting. I bet you can figure it out for yourself. Happiness is accumulated by acquiring goods, achieving goals, taking time off from work, and helping little old ladies cross the street so they don't get hit by any speeding marbles. Education is accumulated by attending the university and graduating from the classes offered. A computer and some reference books can be very beneficial to your studies. Career is achieved by working hard, climbing the corporate ladder, improving your skills, dependability, and advancing your education. Remember, hire a kid. They have all the answers. Now, once you have set the levels for those four attributes, and by the way, you get to set them for Jones as well if you're playing against the computer. Uh, so you could set his uh, uh, differently. Uh, but once you're done with that, it is time for the game to start. So each character gets a week. And by the way, the weeks go really fast. I mean, you might play through your entire week in uh, one minute, uh, maybe one to two minutes. Um, so the round begins with something happening to you. So the game, every round, you begin with some sort of financial penalty. <laughs> and the game will uh, come up with a funny thing, like you were playing marbles with your friend and lost, you spent $15. Or maybe you went on a car ride and you spent $30 in gas, whatever. But you start every round by losing a little bit of your money. Uh, now, instead of rolling a die to determine where you go, you can move anywhere on the game board. Uh, moving around the game board, you just choose your destination, and you are represented by or represented by a small uh, marble of a specific color. And that marble will move to that spot. You'll watch a little animation of your character digitally walking, and. Once you get to that area, you can make choices. So, for example, if you go to the burger place, you can buy food. If you go to the store, you may be able to buy groceries. You can go uh, to the electronics store and buy electronics. So all, all these things uh, you'll explore throughout the game. Uh, but it does – there's a – at the bottom of the game – uh, screen, there is a clock and that clock moves. Now it doesn't move in real time. Uh, it moves in accordance to what you're doing in the game. So if you walk from the top of the game board to the bottom, as you're walking, that clock will tick, 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 move forward. Uh, when you go, uh, work, when you get a job and you begin to work, um, every time that you work a shift, that clock will move forward. So, um, what, do you have to accomplish on your term? Well, there are certain things that you have to do basically every single 
turn of the game. And again, a turn is one week. Uh, number one, you have to eat. Um, if you do not eat, you will get penalized on your next turn. Uh, the game will come up and say, you were too weak to get out of bed because you didn't eat last week, and you will lose one-third of your time. So you definitely want to eat uh, each week. Number two, once you get a job, and there are lots of jobs that you can apply for in the game, uh, you will want to go work. Uh, so you have to go and click on the work button. You have to go to wherever you work, click on the work button, uh, work a few shifts, and you have to build uh, that money up. Then there are other things that you can do like um, – Gosh, I'm trying to think through here. Like go to school. So you could go to the local college. You can enroll in a class. And each class will have something like 10 classes you have to attend. So you pay money to enroll in the college uh, or to enroll into a degree. And then you just have to click, click, click um, to go through the classes. But those take time. And so really, if you can think about like in real life, how you would spend your week. Well, you don't spend your entire week working. You don't spend your entire week uh, eating. You do those things a little bit each day. And so that's how the weeks are organized in this game. You have to go eat. You have to go work because you need to earn money uh, because you're going to need a lot of money in this game. And then you have to use the rest of your time to chip away at these other goals. Now, one of the goals, like we talked about, was your happiness. Your happiness in this game is boosted by the things that you own. So you'll need to save money so that you can buy a television or a VCR, things like that. Part of your happiness is based off of uh, where you live. Right now you live in a low-rent apartment, but you can save up money and move up to a, a nicer apartment. By the way, the nicer apartments don't get robbed. <laughs> Uh, where the lower income ones do. So that's uh, uh, definitely part of the game. So what you'll see as you play this game is that uh, it's, it's easy in the first two or three rounds, three or four rounds, let's say, uh, to, to get started. You go, you get a job, you go apply for a job. Uh, you, um, like my first job, I got $4 an hour flipping burgers at monolith burgers, <laughs> which is a, a space quest joke, which is also a Sierra game. And, uh, that was great. And I worked and I, I got some money and I, I bought a VCR and I was very happy. I did all these things. Um, and then after on the fourth week, or I guess on the fifth week, uh, it told me rent was due and I owed 300 and $65 for rent, something I had three, three twenty five, I think. Uh, and I had like $400. So I went and I paid my rent. Um, and then we actually, when the round started, it said, Oh, you had a flat tire. And I, I spent $50 on a flat tire. So I had like $350. Then I had to go pay rent, which was three twenty five, And I only had $25 left. Uh, I didn't have enough money to eat. And so I didn't eat. And then on my next round, I started off with a time penalty because I didn't eat. And so I had to go work just so I could eat. And then I went to do college, but I ran out of time. And then uh, a few moves later, my landlord started garnishing my wages. 
<laughs> taking my money. And then my clothes wore out and my clothes disappeared. And my guy was just walking around with a barrel around him. <laughs> and it said, well, you really need some clothes. And I said, well, I'll just go to work and get some clothes. But then it said, hey, you can't work because you don't have any clothes. You're not wearing anything uh, appropriate. So it's very easy to get into a hole in this game. You do get a false sense of security in those first two or three rounds because things seem to be going so good. And then very quickly, things start going really, really badly. The uh, One of the things I should talk about is the prices in the game. Uh, the prices in the game are weird. They are not uh, they don't really represent the prices of things in real life. Uh, when you go to the fast food place, uh, French fries are sixty dollars. That's ridiculous, right? Uh, your rent is three twenty five. Um, a VCR is three hundred dollars. So, so the numbers are not uh, relative to real life. They don't represent the cost of things in real life. Uh, not even back in nineteen ninety one, but. They make sense in the scope of the game itself. Uh, in other words, it's not the fact that the French fries cost $60. That, that's ridiculous. But it's that it takes, you know, you have to work X amount of cycles to afford those French fries. So as you work up, uh, you know, the, the, your economic ladder and you get a better job and you're earning more money, then it becomes easier to afford the food so that you could spend more time. So that's kind of the idea. And, and yeah, so they've, they've made it. Um, so the numbers, like I said, when you, when you watch it, it, you know, when you, they say a hamburger is $110, it seems ridiculous, but within the confines of the actual game and how it works, uh, it may not, the numbers may not make sense. Uh, but it does work out as far as the game goes. Uh, also, I should point out that the market fluctuates throughout the game. So you might get a job paying $4 an hour, which is the starting rate for most of the jobs. And you'll see that the French fries are $60 one week, but they might be $55 the next week. You might see some of the items that you buy and sell uh, to go up or down. So uh, it, it's... um. Uh, you have to pay attention to what's going on. There's not a lot of opportunity to buy things low and, and sell things high. It's pretty difficult to do that in the game. But if you can buy things uh, when they are less expensive, that's uh, definitely beneficial. So let's talk a little bit about the graphics in this game. It is a very colorful and well-designed board. It looks like a whimsical board game. We have little representations of what each of the businesses are, which I'll talk about those in just a second. Um, so, But when you look at them, they will have a sign and a business, and you could tell what they are. So there's no guessing about when you want to go to the bank or go pay your rent. You can easily see uh, where those things are located. Again, there is a animated graphic of your character that walks as you're walking around. And then when you go into a location, you'll see a picture. And uh, most of the time, you will see a digitized actor who is saying the lines of what's going on. Uh, I will have some different examples of that throughout the episode. Uh, on the CD-ROM version, they talk. And on the uh, regular VGA version uh, or CGA, the ones that were on floppy disks, um, you'll have a speech bubble that appears above the character. You won't actually hear the audio of them talking. But on the CD-ROM, you do actually get to hear them talking. Welcome to Agni Employment. Why work for the best when you can work like the rest? 
the game is also filled with music. You have just this wonderful music again, uh, through modern technology. We can play this emulated with the Roland MT32. You can hear the best possible quality of the music. It sounds really, really good. It just makes those MIDI tunes really pop and come alive. But even with the sound blaster, uh, it's, it's not terrible. There are also sound effects throughout the game. Again, the most, um, impressive one that I would mention, and this is on the CD-ROM version, is the digitized speech. And so this was really one of those titles that showed how great CD-ROMs were going to be. Uh, you know, when you got this on CD-ROM, you got extra features. You got this audio. You got better, uh, you know, everything all on one disc. You didn't have to install it off all these CDs and things like that. So, um, you know, this really showed just how much better a title could be if you had that extra space on a CD-ROM versus trying to install this from floppy disk onto your hard drive. Now, on each round of the game, your player begins at their apartment. Again, there are uh, lower-scale apartments. There are higher, high-rise, more expensive ones, which give you more security uh, as well. And each time you move around the board, uh, you use a little bit of your time. Now, all of those places around the board you can go into, and I'm not going to list every single one of the locations. Uh, you know, I may mention them by title, but um, but there's a lot. I don't I don't want to bog things down too much. Um, there's a pawn shop in the game, but the pawn shop is really only valuable if you're playing with multiplayers because there's nothing there to buy except for the items that other players have pawned. So if you're just playing by yourself, uh, and you haven't pawned anything, there won't be anything in the pawn shop. But if you're playing with multiple players and someone else hawks their things, you might be able to scoop in and get those uh, at a discount. There's an appliance store called Z-Mart, and you could go there to buy all kinds of uh, different things like clothes and um, tickets. I think that's where you get your, your lottery uh, tickets from. And the stuff that's available there changes on each turn, but those are the types of things you want to purchase to raise your happiness uh, within the game. There's Monolith Burgers, which is uh, one of two places you can buy food. Now, this is fast food, and so you go there, and there's a little... I mean, I don't think it's a very well-kept secret that all the food basically is the same in the game. So you could spend $60 and buy French fries, or you could spend 200 and buy a large pizza, but there's no difference as far as the game's concerned, but you just have to eat um, once per turn. The other thing you could do is there is a place where you can buy a week's worth of food, which is much cheaper than buying the fast food. But to do that, you have to own a refrigerator, 
which is pretty expensive in the game. Uh, there is the QT clothing store where you have to go and you can upgrade your clothes, which will affect your happiness. But also, if you want one of the higher end jobs, you'll need to own business clothes, which are more expensive than casual clothes. There's Socket City, not to be confused with Circuit City, which is a place that sells appliances. There's High Tech U. This is the college university where you can go enroll in programs and earn degrees, which will help you get a better job. There's the employment office that you go to to find uh, jobs. Now, the thing about the employment office is it doesn't tell you what jobs are available or that you're qualified for. So this really becomes a big part of the game where you apply for a job you're making minimum wage and it doesn't tell you, Hey, now you're qualified to get the assistant manager. You just have to go back there and spend time on your turn applying for different jobs until you eventually work your way up uh, the, to uh, management. And of course, different, all of the places that I mentioned in this game, all of them also hire people. So you could work at QTs. You could work at monolith burgers. Um, there's a factory. And in fact, that's the only thing that's offered at the factory. That's one of the few things where you can't buy or sell or do anything else. The factory is only for working. Uh, there's a bank where you can go to get loans. You can go to the stock market and you can deposit your money. If you have money deposited, then on the rare occasion, if you play this long enough, you'll get mugged or your house will get robbed and you'll lose your money. But if it's safely in the bank, then you won't have that problem. Uh, there is a place called Black's Market, which when you look at it, I always want to think it's the black market, but it's just a food uh, market. Uh, you can buy a newspaper there and read it for a dollar. You can buy fresh food, but again, you got to have a refrigerator to store that food. Uh, then you have the, uh, you know, where you pay the rent. Um, you have where you, you have the other, the high rise apartments, the lay security apartments, which is nice because it doesn't uh, get robbed by Wild Willie. <laughs> who's the bad guy who appears every now and then and tries to rob people. So all of these things are on the board. You can visit them every turn if you want, and uh, you can get a job at most of those places as well. So a lot of things to see and do in the game. Um, but as we'll talk about later, there really aren't enough things to see and do in the game. I always talk about a game's controls. Again, I think I read somewhere that you could do this with a keyboard, but I don't see how. It just seems like you would need a mouse. Uh, and this is a 1990, 1991 era. Every PC at that point had a mouse. Everybody today has a mouse. So the only real way to play this game would be through a mouse. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the game strategy. First of all, this game, if you are familiar with board games like the Game of Life uh, or, in a way, Monopoly, this is like a combination of those games. Uh, you have to start out strong. You have to start out by working and building up your bankroll. Otherwise, you are going to get in trouble in a hurry. Like I said, if you don't eat, you will suffer a one-third time penalty. If you don't pay rent, uh, your landlord will start to garnish your wages. Uh, so as you play this, it starts to feel like real life. 
in a way, you know, I mean, you have to work, uh, eventually you have, well, you have to eat, you need to start going to school. And what you'll find is that there's not a lot of time left for doing anything else. Um, you know, and once you feel like you start getting ahead in the game, you're going to get hit with rent. Uh, you can get fined, uh, your clothes wear out and then all of a sudden you're back to zero. And so a lot of this game just feels like grinding, um, kind of like, when I was younger, how I felt about life, how I was working at every penny that I made, I was spending so that I could keep working. Uh, so yeah, the game, especially in the early phases of the game, it really, uh, has that feel to it. One trick I learned early on was I picked places to work that were close to places I had to go to on a regular basis. So I started and got a job at monolith burgers because you have to eat every week. So you could travel, walk around to Monolith Burgers, eat your weekly uh, supply of French fries, and then work a few shifts without having to walk uh, and use more of your time to move about the board. So I found that uh, as a basic strategy to be kind of helpful. Uh, I thought one of the things that I thought was interesting while I was playing this game is that there was no measure or marker for relationships. Um, and I thought that was kind of funny. It's very eighties where your success is based on your career, like how much you own, how much money you make, um, you know, all those sorts of things like that. Uh, and, and the, those are all built in the game, but there isn't anything about, uh, you know, getting married or starting a family or anything like that. And, and again, I just think this really represents that kind of era. Uh, what was that? Michael J. Fox movie secret of my success. Like it kind of represents that kind of era of just like the goal is to work, work, work and make it to the top of, uh, of your company, you know, uh, there's a lot of humor in this game. I know I've touched on this, but a lot of the places that you visit, there'll be little funny one-liner jokes that are uttered by the employees that are there. Welcome to the Pacific International Grand Gratuity Yield Bank, P-I-G-G-Y. Have you gotten your free Toast Point tongs? It's just really a funny game. There's a, there's a lot of sense of humor in this game, uh, which I think makes it more than just a dry uh, board game. And also I would mention uh, that I've been playing this this week and most of the time I've been playing against Jones. And once you play this a few times, it's pretty obvious that Jones cheats. <laughs> the AI definitely just has advantages that you and I as human players don't have. Uh, as I mentioned, you have to get a job, but there's nothing that tells us when we're qualified to apply for a better job. Sometimes the market changes and the job you have, the hourly rate goes up. And the only way to get that, which is the equivalent of getting a raise, is to go back to the hiring office and apply for the same job that you already have, but at a higher rate. So Jones seems to know when all these things are happening, but uh, as human beings, we don't know when those things are happening. Also, as I mentioned before, I watched, as I played this game multiple times this week, I watched Jones win the lottery multiple times. I bought several lottery tickets while I was playing. I bought lottery tickets every game that I played, and I never won the lottery. So uh, 
maybe that's up to chance, but it does seem like the AI wins the lottery a lot more than I did. And once you win the lottery, you could buy all kinds of furniture and appliances and all things and really boost up a lot of those attributes. Uh, that's a lot harder to do when you are just working. Now, there is a Sierra website. It's a fan-based website. It's not run by the company Sierra. And they have a lot of hints and walkthroughs for all the different Sierra games. And I was surprised to find that they had a quote-unquote walkthrough, which is really this is a strategy guide on how to beat this game. And there's uh, three short paragraphs. I'm going to read them real quick. It says, the most efficient way to win this game Depends on the goals set at the beginning of the game. A good strategy for the default settings, and that would be with 200 for all those settings, is to take the job as clerk at the Monolith Burger, work about four times each week, vary between eating fries and hamburgers, and study the rest of the time. Every fourth week, when rent is due, work eight times, eat, and then pay rent. Spend the the last fraction of the round relaxing. Okay, right off the bat, I just want to say that is, I mean, that's something that somebody had to figure out through trial and error. I mean, that is very specific and not something I would have known how to do. Next, it says to get a decent job quickly, take junior college and business administration at the university, then apply for the job as assistant manager at Monolith Burger. After working as assistant manager for a round, You can apply for the job as teller at the bank. After a few rounds there, you are eligible for the position as manager of QT Clothing. And after spending some time there, you can apply for the job as assistant manager of the bank. That job will pretty soon qualify you for the managing position. Again, there's no way to know that while you're playing the game. Somebody figured that out somehow and wrote it down. So that's good info. After you have secured a decent job, move to Lay Security and buy a fridge. You can now buy two or four weeks worth of groceries at a time at Black's Market, which will save you time. From here on out, you should focus on making money and filling your apartment with stuff. Zmart Discount offers a few exclusive items, such as books. If you see the news headline between rounds that the economy is on the decline, invest in some markets at the bank. Also, make sure to deposit some money in case Wild Willie comes by and robs you. A lot of strategy in the game. Uh, I played this game multiple times over the past week. I did not know any of that strategy, nor did I seem to use any strategy at all. Uh, I felt like a teenager (laughs) moving out on his own for the first time. I worked uh, basically flipping burgers at Monolith Burgers forever. Uh, I did not get any headway while somehow Jones prospered in the economy. uh, And by the time he won the game, I owned a broken VCR and half a couch. The reviews of this game at the time were varied, and I want to talk about what the reviews said and why they were so varied. The One Magazine gave this 88 out of 100. Playtime Magazine in 1991 gave it 80 out of 100. ASM Magazine gave it 77 out of 100. Powerplay gave it 54, and PC Gamer gave it 35 out of 100. So when you look at the cross-section of these reviews... The positive things that they all said were that it was, number one, very innovative gameplay. Uh, This was a different game than anyone had seen from Sierra and that most people had seen on the IBM PC. We had seen games like Monopoly uh, and traditional board games converted over to the PC, but this is essentially a brand new board game that's appearing 
on the PC. The the biggest era of uh, board games that I remember were uh, trivia games. There were a lot of trivia games uh, and and TV show uh, games, you know, like like Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune and things like that. But this was a brand new original board game. And so a lot of people touted the fact that this was uh, a very innovative game. Uh, a lot of the positive reviews talked about the graphics and sound, which were very good uh, at the time. And they stressed the point that it supported up to four human players. So you have that human competition of four people playing together. So again, it's this idea of the computer being the focal point of an evening of entertainment. Now, the negative reviews all also said the same thing. And the first thing they all said was that the game is very repetitive. And that's true. Uh, as you play this game, you will find yourself doing the same thing over and over and over. Uh, when I played this game on a stream last week, by the time I had played it for an hour and a half, I was really kind of done playing. Uh, you have to work every week. You have to eat every week. You have to invest stuff every week. And it's just really one of those types of games where you have to do a little bit. Now, if you're the type of person that likes those 4X games, uh, you like you know building armies a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, then maybe you might enjoy this game more. But people that are looking for an action uh, board game, I think it, it's just a little too repetitive. Uh, also, most of the negative reviews said that this game was difficult. Now, that doesn't mean that it's difficult to understand or difficult to play, but it's difficult to win. Uh, you really have to grind. And as you heard when I was reading that strategy guide, there's a lot of little pieces that you really only learn after playing this game over and over. Uh, and then finally, a lot of the negative reviews mentioned that the AI seemed to have an unfair advantage. Again, that's true. If this is a game that you're playing with your friends, that's that's not really an issue because you're never playing against the AI. Uh, it's only if, uh, like when I say against the AI, it's not the computer itself isn't unfair to you. It's that the computer controlled player seems to have an advantage. So if you're playing against that computer player, you may have a tough time winning. Uh, there are no other ports of this game. As I mentioned, there were different versions. There's a floppy disk version uh, that is EGA compatible. Then there is a VGA version. And finally, there is the CD-ROM version. Uh, and then they released a version that would install on Windows. Uh, but uh, all of those are for, well, the uh, originals are for MS-DOS. And then eventually it was ported to Microsoft Windows. If you would like to play this game, Someone has set up an online emulator that will play this game, and all you have to do is open up your browser and go to jonesinthefastlane.com, and that will launch DOSBox, and it will play the game. So you can play this game right in your browser. Now, I will tell you, when I tried this, I did not get any audio. So I don't know if that is a limitation of playing it through the browser or if that was some sort of limitation that I experienced. Uh, so your mileage may vary, but that's what I got when I played it by going to jonesinthefastlane.com. But if you don't want to go through the trouble of installing it or emulating it, that's uh, a very quick and easy way to check out the game. You can uh, open that up, click on play demo, and you can watch uh, the game play by itself and get an idea of what the game looks like. If you'd like to own this game, you better have deep pockets. 
I found copies of eBay that were the floppy disks only, without the manual, without the box, without anything else, just the floppy disks, currently selling for $120. I also saw completed auctions of the CD-ROM version that were about that same price, $120 to $130. I did find copies that had sold for more than $200. Um, I'm not sure why this particular title is so valuable, but it certainly seems to be. I think a lot of people uh, have good memories of playing this game. Uh, it was a early CD-ROM title. It was an early multimedia title. And so based on that, I think a lot of people uh, who had IBMs at that time played this game. So maybe that's why it drives such a uh, high price. But you could buy an awful lot of copies of the board game Life uh, for that same $200. And now let's get into my personal memories of Jones in the Fast Lane. So when I was a little kid, we owned a copy of the board game, A Game of Life. Uh, the pieces, the game pieces were little cars and they were little people. And you would They were pegs. You would put the people in the car and as you drove around, you would get married and you would have children. And you would add more pegs to your car and you drove around this 3D terrain. I remember there was a little hill you could go over as you worked around the board. Um, and I just liked that board game so much. And this computer game reminds me of that board game. It's just, you know, literally the game of life. It's literally what all of us do every day. It's eating, it's sleeping, it's rent, <laughs> it's work. It's all those things. Now, I used to only half jokingly say that I don't like video games that do things that I could be doing in real life. Uh, my biggest example of this was fishing games. Uh, I never liked fishing games because I thought I, that's something I could do in real life. I know how to fish. <laughs> so why would I fish uh, on a computer? Uh, why would I play a bowling game when I live a few miles from a bowling alley and I could just go over there? Now, I only say that partially in jest. Uh, I do understand the appeal of those things. And let me tell you, uh, nobody put more hours in wee bowling than me and my family when that came out. So I, I certainly understand the appeal. So if I were joking, I would say, why would I want to play this game when I do all these things in real life? But the reality is, is that this is more of a, I mean, it is a game, but it's also a simulation. So if you want to see what happens if you do this in your life, what, what would have happened if I had worked at a burger place instead of working at the clothing store? You know, you can play this game multiple times and kind of play out uh, those types of scenarios. Now, when I was young, there was a game on the Apple II and on the Commodore 64 uh, called Alter Ego. And that was a similar type of game, but it wasn't a board game. It was almost like a choose your own adventure where the game would ask you, uh, you know, I, like the first question, it said, hey, you, you know, you're being born. Do you want to come out peacefully or kicking and screaming? And so you would choose A or B. And depending on that, you would be presented more and more choices throughout your life. And you could see how your life would play out depending on different choices. You know, it's literally alter ego. It was going through life a different way. Right. And, uh, you know, 
I would put this game in the middle. Like Jones and the Fast Lane is kind of the middle version. And then what did that evolve into? I think that became The Sims. And now if you play The Sims or one of the, the many, many different versions of The Sims that are available, uh, that is building a house. That is getting a job. That is uh, buying the appliances that you want and all those things. And that's a much more long-term uh, an intricate simulation. So Jones and the Fast Line kind of sits in between those two titles for me. I mean, it is a board game. It is a competition type board game. Um, but, but at its heart, that's what it is. It's trying to make enough money to live, um, and, and experiencing, you know, how do those choices that you make affect the ultimate gameplay? Um, I also, as I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, I really had this idea as a kid that this was going to be the future of video game entertainment, that uh, a night of playing video games with my friends was going to be inviting three friends over and us sitting around the desk with one person, me probably, uh, running the mouse and everybody else making choices and playing this board game on the computer. And that's kind of what I envisioned. And of course, that's not what happened. Uh, what happened is now people are all online across the internet sitting at home by themselves playing first-person shooters. And so this reality that I saw a glimpse at in the early 1990s um, didn't really come to fruition. Overall, I would say Jones and the Fast Lane is a fun game. It's a fun board game. I don't know how well the technology has aged. Uh, as I mentioned, it gets a little repetitive, at times, but it is a fun look at how board games were beginning to make that transfer from physical games uh, that we played on our dining room or coffee table onto the computer screen. Thanks for checking out Like a DOS. What did you think about this episode's game? What was your favorite DOS game? Send your thoughts to me at robohara at robohara.com. You can also add your thoughts on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave a message on my podcast hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. All supporters of my podcasts get behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigo Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. If you would like to support me and my shows, you can find out more at patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. Like DOS is available from iTunes, the official Amigos podcast feed at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos podcast, and the RSS feed at podcast.robohara.com, where you can also find all my podcasts, including Sprite Castle, You Don't Know Flack, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, Multiple Sadness, and others. Thanks again for listening. Now, don't forget to eat and pay your rent next week, and we'll see you here next time on Like a DOS. Finally, this podcast would not be possible without the support of Patreon listeners like these. For my 8-bit supporters, that includes Alan Hennessy, Alan Hudgens, Armadon Restel, Brian Barr, Chris Foles, C-Dubs, Cowbird Boy, Dan Paradroid Heavey, Daniel Jaleppa, Dave Velociraptor, 
Dave Zilly, David Hearn, David Modelak, Eric Stryanisi, Extent to the Jam, Gabe DeGenero, Garrett Allier, Gary Heather, Hacker Radio, Jake Nonamaker, Jason Warns, John Bodekar Schaller, John Treholt, Jose Cazada, Joshua Eckroth, Mark Alley, Matthew Perron, Mike McLaughlin, Mitsuyama, Mr. Bundy, Nathan Dagenhart, Olav Hope, Patrick Markey, Paul Morano, Petzl, Rad Max, Rydar and Christopher Bowe, Retro Trace, Robbie Ray, Robot Doctor 82, Scott Lambert, Scott Meredith, Scrap Arcade, Stephen Burt, Steve Rasmussen, The Slow Norris, Travis Gossi, Zeke Papsky, Zerfall, and the mysterious Cobra Kai. And for my 16-bit supporters, Bill Spear, Boatshead Tavern BBS, Dan Creek, Drone Doctor, Edward Smith, Graham Vebke, Joe Sharippa, John Morrison, Matt Nicholson, Matt Smith, Michael Ryan, Paul Nermix Nermanen, Rick Reynolds, John Hudson Mackay and Scott Van Dresen, Steve Sharippa, Vintage Volts, Zyke, and Mr. Wacky. 